their honor. We wish them the best and pray that God will bless them in their future endeavors. And we hope and pray that they will become great leaders, not just in the community and in the world, but more importantly in the church. And so we look forward to seeing them as they grow and excel in these areas. We're looking today, or this afternoon, at 1 Peter chapter 1. I would imagine that many of you are tired and probably ready for your nap. And so I hope that you'll just give me a couple of minutes and we will get in and out of here and you can go home and do whatever you like. But I want to call attention to 1 Peter chapter 1 in our study together today. And I want to ask you a question. Will your faith hold up in the face of persecution? When troublesome times come, because of your faith, will you have the spiritual fortitude to stand? You know, it's very easy for us sometimes to echo sentiments that no matter what, we're going to serve God and be faithful to His cause. Sometimes, as you well know, when push comes to shove, we're not nearly as strong as maybe we thought we were. And so what I want to do is look at what Peter is, Peter is writing to Christians that have been scattered throughout Asia Minor. And he's writing to Christians, saints in the first century, who knew something about being tried for their faith. Matter of fact, it was very real to them. And so I think that there are some things that we can learn from looking at Peter's epistle. And so what I want to do first and foremost is talk about the reality of suffering. Now, in our lesson text, Peter here alludes to the fact that their faith is being tried like fire. The reality of suffering. The Lord Jesus Christ cautioned people in the first century about the possibility of facing persecution. You remember in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. And there it is. Jesus said that there is a real possibility that His disciples would be threatened with persecution for His name's sake. Now you remember when Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul made mention of the persecutions and afflictions which happened to him at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He said, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. And so to understand that there is a real possibility that we can face persecution. And Jesus tells us, cautions us about that, and then the cause for His name's sake. In our society today, we are living in an increasingly more hostile world toward those of us who claim to be followers of Christ. 
And there are things that are going on in our nation that are, quite frankly, unsettling, disturbing. There are forces at work determined to destroy Christianity and His cause, that is, the cause of Almighty God. Now, you remember when Peter wrote over in chapter 4, he would say, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but glorify God in this matter. The saints in the first century, they knew something about persecution. They lived it. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, we read about those that had been martyred for their faith in the Lord. Unsettling times. I think it's important for us to just maybe look at the context in which we now find ourselves in this nation. This past week, I saw something that caught my eye that caused me to raise my eyebrow. I was looking where one of our major news outlets interviewed a potential presidential candidate, Robert Kennedy. The reason I bring this up is because of what unfolded in the article. Apparently, and I didn't see, I didn't see the interview, but apparently during the course of this interview, the coronavirus came up. And Kennedy has been a strong anti-vaxxer. Now that's his decision. And I'm not here to try to talk about whether or not you're for it or against it. That's not the point. The point is, though, that this major news outlet edited what he had to say because they felt like what he believed was harmful. So you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Let me tell you what a big, what, what's so big about it. When we start trying to stand for our faith, and we say that we believe in the inspired, inerrant Word of God, that our conviction is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose from the dead, what are we going to do when people start when people start editing out what we say, when they choose to undermine our voice, and listen, don't think that it's not happening. We talk about freedom of speech. That's a two-way street. I don't really care what political aisle you're on. That's, again, not the point here. The point, however, is freedom of speech. And I have the right to stand up and talk about my faith. And I have the right to express my conviction. Somebody might not like it. They might not agree with it. But let me tell you what. Don't edit what I say. I don't need a redactor. I don't need somebody coming behind me and saying what I'm teaching, what I'm preaching is not healthy. They're not the standard. Did you see this past week our United States Navy using transgender 
using that as a selling point to people in the military or potential candidates. Now look, I believe the golden rule applies to everybody. Therefore, whatever you would have men do unto you, do you also unto them. This is the law and the prophets. And I believe that we ought to treat everyone equitably, kindly, lovingly, irregardless of their gender, irregardless of their economic status, educational background, political affiliation, or sexual orientation. I think we ought to be kind to all people. And I'm not here to beat up on any one group. But I am here to say that as a voice for truth, we need to understand there are militant forces at work undermining the home. It's amazing to me, I did a, a search just the other day. 7.1% of Americans identify as transgenders, gays, and lesbians. So you're telling me that we need someone of that persuasion to encourage people to serve in the military. I don't buy that. I don't buy it at all. So, there are forces at work that are, yes, undermining the fabric of the family and the home as we know it. But let me just say this. All that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to say nothing and do nothing. And that's where we are as a nation. We don't say anything. We don't stand up for what we believe, and we are paying a heavy price. So let me say this. Don't be surprised if we lose this nation. The land of the free, the home of the brave. In the first century, Nero Caesar was doing his best to undermine Christianity, targeting New Testament Christians. And I'm here to tell you in the 21st century, the day may come when we, as members of the body of Christ, are targeted for what we believe and practice. Now, we have a television program that airs nationwide on Dish and Direct, Counterpoint. We talk about a, we talk about a lot of different subjects, doctrinally, morally, etc. Is it possible the day will come when Dish, Direct, and other outlets tell us that what we have to say about the one church, the Christ, the Bible, etc., but that is harmful to our nation. And so they redact it. That's where we are. You need to understand that. That's exactly where we are as a nation. So number one, the reality of suffering. Very real to these people. But then secondly, I want to talk about how we can be refined by suffering. Peter talks about those who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He mentions, mentions the fact that for a little while they had been undergoing various trials. 
And he said that the trying of your faith, being more genuine, that gold that perishes might be found unto praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's just think for a moment or two about this purification process, the proving, if you please, of our faith. And the fact that when we face trials and difficulties, that's when we find out what we're made of. I mean, think about that. Peter's writing to Christians. He's talking about gold that's tried by fire. Can people determine the quality and quantity of gold? There's a process for that, isn't there? How then can we tell whether or not we're what we ought to be? Well, one of the ways is when we face trouble and trial. Do you remember, for example, Paul in Romans chapter 5 talked about how tribulation leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character, to character hope. And really what Paul was saying is that when we are able to persevere in tough times, it helps us grow. It grows our faith, doesn't it? You remember in James chapter 1? When James in the long ago said, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith, there it is. So our faith is under fire. And Peter, in his second letter, talks about adding to our faith perseverance. One of the byproducts, according to James, to facing tough times, again, patience, perseverance. Look at Job. You remember him? In James chapter 5, James makes mention of Job. He said, you've heard about the patience, perseverance of Job. And seeing the end, the end intended by the Lord. Well, Job stood under an onslaught of difficulties and trials. And so as we face trouble and trial in this life, and particularly as it relates to our faith, it will help to grow our faith. Sometimes trials in life can make us bitter, resentful. Sometimes the trials of life literally crush our faith or potentially can crush our faith. But what Peter is saying, and I think what James was saying in the long ago, along with Paul in Romans chapter 5, is that when we face the various trials and difficulties of this life, those things can be used as stepping stones. In other words, they will help us grow so that when tough times come down the road, we can stand again. That's the goal, isn't it? Now, there's a third thing. There is a reminder that I think we ought to consider. The reminder has to do with our affection in times of trouble and then our anchor in times of trouble. Peter mentions the fact that though they did not see the Lord, he said, you still love Him. You love Him. And the idea is that they had genuine love for the Lord. Listen to what Peter said. Look, if you would, with me, beginning, note if you would, down in verse 8. Peter said, Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
Were they to grow in their love for God? Yes, the more we grow in our love for God, the greater the appreciation we have for the Lord, the stronger we become in the faith, don't we? Didn't Jesus talk about loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? He said this is the first and great commandment. So as our love for God grows, hopefully and prayerfully, our faith in God grows. And so Peter makes mention of their affection, but then also the anchor. The anchor that will hold us in times of difficulty. Over in chapter 4, down in about verse 19, Peter said, Let those who suffer according to the will of God in doing good commit their souls unto Him who is a faithful Creator. The idea is that the Lord God can be our anchor in troublesome times, in times of difficulty. Peter's writing to Christians in the first century and his goal is to strengthen them, to help them stand under duress. Now look, Living the Christian life is tough no matter what. But when you add another dimension to that, and that being the possibility of persecution, trial, trouble, then that is a tremendous weight to try to bear in this world. And so to learn to put our faith and trust in God. Remember, do you remember what Peter said over in chapter 5, verse 7? Again, think about the Christians to whom Peter's writing. And they're being besieged by any number of trials and difficulties. And Peter said, here's what you need to do. Cast all your care on Him, for He cares for you. God's with us, isn't He? So much so that we know that God is not just with us, but He is for us. David, in Psalm 56, said, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Things that potentially rock our faith by way of persecution, affliction, oppression, whatever, whether it's verbal or physical. Those things can ultimately hurt our faith. But we've got to learn to trust in God, despite the fact that those things may create anxieties and worries in our minds. To learn to put our trust in God. You know, David said in Psalm 56, This I know, God is for me. And you remember the Hebrew writer said, speaking on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. And then he asks this question, What can man do unto me? Going back to Psalm 56. And so to remind ourselves that in tough times we have an anchor that will hold. The Hebrew writer says that anchor is both sure and steadfast. You never have to worry about whether or not God's in your court. He's always on your side. Now, there is a fourth thing I want to share with you very quickly. And it has to do with the reward to those who suffer. That being said, look now at verse 9. Peter said, Receiving the end of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. Now, there are a couple of thoughts here. Number one, our assurance in the Lord. Let's just say in the first century. Well, take for example Paul. You remember when he wrote that second letter over in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy? He said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm already being offered. Paul knew that life for him was coming to an end. There were no disillusions. He knew that Nero Caesar would ultimately have his head. And yet, despite that, his faith was in Almighty God, wasn't it? Fully convinced or assured that there was something better on the other side. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would say, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In chapter 5, he would say, For we know that if this earthly tent or tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. So there is this assurance in Christ, assurance in the Lord. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul would say, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. There was assurance there. So look at what Peter says. Drop down, look at verse 3, chapter 1. Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. All right, what's the point? The point is, based upon the resurrection of Jesus, we have rock-solid hope, don't we? Paul made that defense in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we have hope. That's what Peter's saying. We have assurance that though this earthly life may come to an end, will come to an end, unless the Lord comes first, we have assurance Assurances beyond the grave. So what is the aim? What's the aim in life? I mean, what, what's, what's Christianity all about? Well, the aim is to go to heaven, isn't it? Did Peter believe that there was laid up for him an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that didn't fade away? And didn't he say it's reserved in heaven? And didn't Paul in the long ago say to live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ far better? I mentioned a moment ago the saints to whom John wrote in the Revelation. Some of those saints had been martyred. Some would be martyred for their faith in the Lord. You remember what he said over in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord, yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. What are you saying, John? This physical life may end in death by persecution, affliction, oppression, but that soul, well, it'll live on forevermore. So I want to ask you as we close today, how strong is your faith in the Lord? Let's just say that things really ramp up in the next few years. And we're besieged or we're under siege from every sector of society. And people become very militant 
toward those of us who claim to be believers, followers of the Lord. When we talk about our conviction from the Word of God, we're under fire. Will your faith hold up? Will you have the kind of rock-solid faith that will not yield? Now, there are people today in places around the world that are already under attack. And as you well know, there are forces at work in this country that if they had their way, they would do away with Christianity and God's Word. So we got to stand kindly, firmly, but we must stand. And stand, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Every single form of persecution in this country and around the world, it comes from one source, the devil. He's behind every bit of it. And the devil doesn't care how he destroys our faith, could care less, but he can use persecution to destroy us. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15? He said, You remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The Lord there setting forth a warning to the apostles. Just as he was persecuted, they would be persecuted. And as His followers today, yes, we may be persecuted. Listen to Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a fact. So, going back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, He said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You remember he brought up the prophets who were persecuted before those who lived in the first century? So, let me encourage all of us to be strong, to be faithful. As Paul said, speak the truth, but speak it in love. To be kind, courteous, respectful, and look, we can stand for truth and we can hold our ground as a Christian. We can do it in a kind way. We don't have to be hateful, ugly, arrogant, caustic, none of that. But stand, we must. We have no choice. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship the opportunity to open your word. We pray, Father, that in difficult times that we'll trust in you, that we'll persevere. Help us, Father, when we lack the fortitude, the courage to stand like we ought to stand. Help us to be a shining light in this world and help us to strive to the best of our ability to reach out to those who are lost and dying in sin, to change the landscape of our nation through the gospel. 
And Father, we pray that you would continue to bless us and be with us and in the end save us in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, let me encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Based upon that conviction, would you repent of your sins, confess His name, be buried with Him in baptism, as the Bible talks about in Acts chapter 2. That's what they did, that's what they did then, that's what we do today. When we obey the gospel, the Bible tells us our sins are forgiven, Acts 2.38. God puts us in the church, and the church is the house of the saved, Ephesians 5.23. If you're here this afternoon and maybe your life's not what it ought to be and you just need prayer to be stronger, to be more equipped to meet adversity, trial, tribulation, whatever, we would be more than happy to pray with you and for you. If you've lost your way spiritually and you want to reclaim that fellowship that you once enjoyed, we'd be happy again to pray for you as we stand and sing.
the Lord's Supper has been prepared for those who are unable to uh, partake of it this morning. If you need to be served, just raise your hand after each prayer. Let's now pray for the bread. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for his willingness to 